Everlast, how are we doing tonight? Doing good. Hey, let's give God glory for worship, for just, uh, yeah, for worship tonight, for Wes and Israel and Sarah leading us. Amen, amen. Such a sweet time. Uh, it's good to see everybody. So stoked for tonight. My name's Kev. By God's grace, I get to be uh, your young adult pastor here. So honored uh, to do life with all of you here at Calvary Worship Center. Tonight we start our brand new series, Wise Words. We're going to be walking through the book of Proverbs, where we will walk through, yeah, different Proverbs uh, over the course of this month. We're seriously so stoked for what the Lord has in store. Um, the book of Proverbs, we're going to hop right in. Y'all ready? Say, I'm ready. All right, the book of Proverbs was written by King Solomon, who was the king of Israel and son to David. God gifted Solomon with the most wisdom any man had ever experienced. The theme and goal of the book of Proverbs is shared in the first chapter, specifically verses 1 through 7. It says its goal is to instill wisdom in God's people, a wisdom that is rooted in uh, the fear of the Lord. And that works out covenant life with God in the practical details of everyday situations and relationships. Basically, Everlast, y'all, Proverbs, like all scripture is ultimately breathed out and written by God. Proverbs is a, a very instructional uh, and helpful book to grow um, our awe of God via very practical encouragements and exhortations. Now, y'all, I wish that, uh, I wish I could say that I always live inside the wisdom boundaries of God's word, but there are times when I foolishly think that I'm smarter than God. Anybody with me on that? Unfortunately, that's, that's kind of where we're at at times. This is another reason, Everlast, why Proverbs exists. It graciously shows us just how much we don't know. <laughs> you know the saying, an apple a day keeps the doctor away? You ever heard that saying? Yeah. I never honestly understood that. You would think it like it would keep the dentist away, not the doctor, but just something I thought about as I was writing this. Anyways, when it comes to the book of Proverbs, I would say this. I would say this. An apple a day may keep the doctor away, but a proverb a day keeps my foolishness at bay. Amen. Y'all, the book of Proverbs is, y'all, seriously, such an awesome portion of Scripture that uh, we believe God is going to be using this next month for all of us uh, to grow uh, in love with God, grow in our awe of God, and grow in the wisdom of God. Amen? Now that we have just a, a brief understanding of the book of Proverbs, let's get started. And actually, you know what, before we dive all the way in, um, uh, because, y'all, we have a lot to go over tonight, a whole lot. We're going to be talking about a whole lot. I'm going to zo be zooming by. I, but before, I, I really do want, I wanted to preface, um, preface something with you tonight. So if I could just have your undivided attention, that'd be super sweet. Uh, the topic we're going over tonight isn't to be taken lightly. Um, we're going to be talking about some really difficult topics tonight. So with that, I'm just going to kindly ask, I'm going to kindly ask you that you listen with a mature mind and a mature heart. Uh, people respond, it's interesting, to difficulty in many different forms, whether that be laughing or giggling or, you know, uh, escaping the quote-unquote discomfort by opening up our phone or talking to someone next to us or thinking about whatever, you know, kind of, etc. 
And there's going to be moments I'm going to be cracking jokes to kind of break the ice. So obviously, you know, we can laugh. And I'm not saying you can't laugh. But I just, well, by the way, I would honestly, in, in any context, the word of God is being taught that you listen maturely. But I'm just asking just for an extra dose of maturity tonight. Amen? Amen. Tonight, Everlast, we'll be discussing sexual immorality. And the beautiful warning that God gives us in his word. Because end of the day, he absolutely knows what's best for us. Let me also say that there's a stigma out there that says that uh, to be sexually moral is primarily needed like before you're married. Meaning it's up to the single in the room or those who are dating or engaged even, you know, to fight for sexual, mora- or sexual morality uh, uh, fight against sexual immorality and, and to walk in the light of Christ. But that, y'all, that is false. <laughs> uh, fighting for sexual morality absolutely sets your future marriage up for success. But I would argue that sexual morality is something that you have to fight with all the more intensity when you are married. End of the day, sexual morality is something that is for every person that is on a journey with Christ. 1 Peter 1, 16 says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. I tell you what, let's just actually pray over this right now. I know we prayed a few moments ago. Can we pray again that God would just help us listen with an open uh, heart and and a mature heart? He's going to pray for us real quick. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed, just to kind of focus a little bit on. Yeah, just to focus. Father in heaven, thank you. For every person here, whether they love you and worshiping you tonight has been something they've been looking forward to all day or whether they're not sure about any of this and they're just here maybe to just kind of find some answers or whatnot. I just thank you, God. I thank you that we're all here. And there's a possibility tonight for us to know what our maker thinks about how we are made and how to best live the life we've been given. So I'm asking you tonight, God, for help. God, would you open our minds that we would understand what it is you are thinking about. And I pray that you would also open our hearts, that we can understand and we could feel what you care about. I pray that we would be changed as a result of these few minutes together tonight. Some of us, if not most of us, Lord, are addicted in some form or fashion, misled, and have been marching to it. The, a drumbeat that culture has set rather than what you have set in your word. Some of us, Lord, have been subjected to hurt or abuse. And God, I'm just asking, please, God, I just, I just really, really sense your presence tonight. And I thank you for being with us. And we need your grace, God, tonight. Help us listen well. Help us to, to find true freedom and grace in you tonight. Now, I just encourage you to pray for your own heart, just where you're at. Say, God, would you speak to me tonight? I encourage that to pray that for the person on your left and right. Pray for them. Say, God, would you please speak to them tonight? And lastly, I just pray, I ask that you would pray for me, that God would use me to Make things clear and helpful for you. Well, Lord, we love you. Please speak to us now. 
we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, with that, will you please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5. Go to the middle of your Bible. Go to the right. Just one book. It's right there. Proverbs 5. Right after Psalms. We're going to read it. It's 23 verses, so hang. It's not, it's not on the screen, so hang with me, all right? We're going to read all 23 verses. Proverbs 5. Here we go. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Thank you for the... Thank you for that. Uh, Here we go. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard uh, knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not Ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Verse 7, And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your youth, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Verse 11, and at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. Verse 13, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? I'll read it again as a question. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Verse 17, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely, dear, graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Verse 21, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his past. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Lastly, verse 23, he dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. That's Proverbs 5. Wow. Whatever last, like we just read, we see after the introductory words of verses 1 and 2, you kind of stay in Proverbs 5 with me, the entire appeal of this proverb concerns the matters of what? Sexual immorality. First, the immoral woman is introduced, right? We see in verses 3 through 6, you can kind of go back there and and, and skim. We see in verses 3 through 6 that she is, she's overall, um, she's alluring, but deadly. We then see as an exhortation to stay far away from such promiscuous women follows, uh, uh, that's verses 7 through 14. The text then clearly gives a brief but powerful presentation of the essentials 
of biblical teaching on sexual morality. It then poetically, very poetically, very much so, asserts and proclaims this, and that's in verses 15 through 20, that sexual pleasure is good, but that it must be confined to marriage. Our passage tonight, well, actually, our entire proverb uh, concludes with, with a brief account um, of wreckage and destruction and overall heartbreak that overtakes and befalls the immoral man. That's verses 21 through 23. And can I just say this, Everlast? Our topic tonight is absolutely and obviously not just about the context of a woman tempting a man. No, of course, y'all, other sexual dangers exist, such as a woman being tempted by an immoral man, temptations to homosexual conduct, incest, or sexual abuse of children. Y'all, we're going to be talking about pornography tonight. Y'all, the list of categories under the overarching umbrella of sexual immorality are unfortunately and heartbreakingly uh, too long to list. So when it comes to us talking through Proverbs 5 tonight, the wise person, via the Holy Spirit's guidance and help, applies this counsel by making the appropriate adaptations to his or her situation, circumstance, or struggle. You feel me? Amen. Everlast, listen, straight up, sin is deceitful. Sin enables and encourages us to choose wrong rather than right. Sin makes us want short-term pleasure over long-term gain. Sin is ultimately idolatry. This is something we need to know, both head and heart. We need to know in our bones, actually. (laughs) Idolatry, y'all, comes in many, many different forms and manifests itself in many, many different ways. But the idol of sexual immorality, y'all, this is one of the most present forms of idolatry we face today. What's crazy, what's crazy about this sin of sexual immorality is that it's one that we don't have to work hard to get, but it's one that we work hard to hide. I'm going to say that again. Sexual immorality is not one that we, we don't have to work hard to get, but we work hard to hide. Sexual immorality is one of the most quote-unquote hidden sins out there. But what's interesting about that, y'all, is that God doesn't want sex to be hidden. To hide, y'all, to hide usually implies, right, that you're covering something up that is bad, right? But sex is not meant to be bad. It's not meant to be bad. Our sin nature most definitely makes it bad, hence the warning in our text tonight, Proverbs 5, and many other scriptures we're going to be going throughout tonight, and we're going to read later, but y'all, It's meant to be good. God invented sex. He made it. And he made it to be a good gift. Nope. Nay. Actually, I've been married eight and a half years to the one of my dreams. I'm not going to call it a good gift. I'm going to call it a great gift. A great gift. Y'all, listen. Sex is created by God for the worship of God and for our good in God within the confines of marriage. Sex is created by God for the worship of God and for our good in God within the confines of marriage. More on this later, okay? More on this later. Stick a pin in it. Unfortunately, uh, 
It was at a very young age, very young, I was first exposed to pornography. It was long before internet was a thing. Unfortunately, I turned 35 this year. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. 30s rock, yeah. 30s are, y'all, it's like, the, here's, here's your 30s. You wake up and your knee hurts just because you peeled an orange the day before. Like, just, it's just, yeah, get ready. Y'all, I was in elementary school when one of, the, one of my classmates found a magazine in a ditch, then he grabbed it, hid it, only to secretly show all of us. I'm not sure if he got it from his dad or whatever. I'm pretty sure he found it in a ditch. There's that hiding again. Isn't it crazy? You didn't have to teach us first graders that this was bad. You didn't have to teach us that. We instinctively knew what we were looking at was not right, and so therefore, we hid it. Again, as now a 35-year-old man, y'all, I can, <laughs> I can specifically remember what I felt in that moment. I felt very wrong. I felt very dirty for looking at that magazine. But again, unfortunately, I was exposed, and because of my sin nature, I didn't just feel dirty. I was also intrigued. Now, rather than going to my parents and sharing what happened, what did I do? I hid it. What, what I hid at, yes, a very young and seemingly innocent age, right, later became a nasty addiction in my life. You see, it doesn't matter how young we are because, y'all, guess what? We aren't innocent. Don't take that too far, but hear me out. We are all born into sin. Y'all know just as much as me, you don't have to teach a baby. Mine. <laughs> the only thing that saves us from sin is Jesus. Hallelujah. When I was exposed, y'all, I hadn't trusted Jesus to be my Lord and Savior yet. I was a little dude. I soon did. I soon trusted Jesus. And thus started, y'all, a tug of war between spiritually wanting Jesus over what my flesh was weak towards, sexual morality. What the devil was distorting, though, God was redeeming. Again, God designed sex to be a great thing. But y'all, the world has dubbed God and his word to be prude. Let me tell y'all something, though. The scriptures are not prude when they talk about sexuality. Nope. I remember that word prude. Did y'all ever use that word prude in, in, in junior high school? Gosh, I hated that word. Have you ever heard, someone, heard it used or used it yourself? It's like, oh man, why are you so afraid? Of, why are you so afraid, Kev? Just go kiss her. You're so prude. I'm like, shut up. I'm not prude. Just... The dictionary literally defines prude as a person who is or claims to be easily shocked by matters relating to sex. Yeah, the Bible is completely, completely opposite of prude. Actually, the scriptures are more, y'all, the scriptures are more bold-faced than often we are or even comfortable talking about in spaces like this tonight. In the book of Song of Solomon, if you've ever read it, is this book of great love and celebrating sexuality. Y'all, it's fun. Sex is meant to be fun. You see this guy at the beginning of this book, 
in Song of Solomon in the Bible, he's likened to a gazelle, and he's just leaping. He's just like, <laughs> towards, this, towards this woman's house. Just he's stoked. The little gazelle just leaping. Is that how gazelle leaps? I don't know. Says, hey. And she's saying, let him kiss me with, with the kiss of his mouth. You see that, you see in that, that she's very excited. It gets to their wedding day. It gets to their wedding day, and you see that he's riding towards her on this luxurious couch and soldiers and men that are there. And, and she feels protected and she feels provided for. Then you show up at the wedding, and the book does not drop it off at the door of the bridal chamber. It walks you right into it. As you walk into the chamber, y'all, he, he begins to affirm her, compliment her. He starts with her hair. I don't have any of it. Starts with her hair, then moves down to her eyes, then to her nose, to her mouth, then to her neck, and travels down her body, which leads us to Song of Solomon 4. Let me read some of this. This ought to be fun. Song of Solomon 4, 5. Here we go. Let's talk about sex, baby. Song of Solomon 4, verse 5. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Why does he call her breast deer? Well, the idea is, y'all, you don't run up on, you don't, <laughs> you don't run up fast on fawns. You're not like, hey, fawns! You know, it's like, no, <laughs> gentleness. <laughs> you know, that would scare Bambi or Bambies. That's, it's the idea behind this, y'all, is gentleness. Gentleness. There's gentleness to the entry into their sexuality. He goes on to say, Song of Solomon 4, verse 6, Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Everlast, let me tell you, if you were to look at the maps in the back of your Bible, mine actually just recently, this, this Bible's getting kind of old. Mine fell out recently. You know the maps in the back of your Bible? Uh, and you try to find, in, 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 if you try to find in, in Israel, sorry, the mountains of myrrh and the hills of frankincense, uh, you won't find them. They don't exist there geographically. Earlier, actually, in the Song, in, in, in song of Solomon, uh, she says that she kept a little statue of perfume between her breasts. So when he says, all night long, I'm going to the mountains of myrrh, y'all, he's not talking about a place out of town. <laughs> he, y'all, he's gearing up for some good times. <laughs> he's stoked. I'm telling you. It's crazy. He then says in verses 7 through 8, you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, uh, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, Hermon and, 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 uh, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. This is what he's saying here, Everlast. Let's get away from the context of where you're devoured. Like, th that's a wild animal. Like, just to be devoured and to be used. No, what, what he's saying, let's get away from that world. Let's steal away to a secret place that's life-giving for us. And as he speaks to her, he then says in verse 9, You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes and with one jewel of your necklace. If you notice right here, right, he calls her sister, not because they're biologically related, but because they had such a deep connection of friendship. They had familial love that, that's now blossoming into erotic love. He calls her in other places in the Song of Solomon that you, a word that actually could be translated as best friend. She's his friend. 
But as he continues to speak to her, he says this. Read five verses. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of, fragrance of uh, your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A, a garden locked is my sister, my, my bride. A, a spring locked, a, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choices, fruits, uh, henna and nard and nard and saffron, uh, calamus and, and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, uh, myrrh and aloes with all choice spices, a garden fountain, a, a well of living water of, uh, and flowing streams from Lebanon. You see, by the way, here a couple times where he compares her to a garden, right? We just read it. Then, he was, then, then, then she, by the way, she responds with this. Ready? Song of Solomon 4, 16. Awake, O north wind, and come. O south wind, blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let the beloved come into his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Dang. The Bible is prude? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And then the very next verse, he said, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh and my spice, and I ate my honeycomb with my honey, and I drank wine with my milk. Homeboy, homeboy went for it. Uh, but check it out, Everlast, the most important statement comes later. Commentators say that uh, say these words may have presumably been their friends um, or maybe God himself, but this is obviously the inspired scripture. Um, so I think you could say both. The response to all of this that we just read is this. Song of Solomon 5, the end of verse 1. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. Y'all, this is our Bible. This is your Bible. Sex was designed by God to be an amazing gift for his glory and for our good. But, by the way, did you notice what it said about his bride? Remember what we mentioned a few moments ago? It's a garden, right? But he specifically said a garden locked. Meaning, what does that mean? Only. Only. Meant for the covenant of marriage. That's where the healthy intoxication of being drunk with love is to be experienced. Going back to our original text tonight, written by Solomon himself, again, in Proverbs 5, let's reread verses 15 through 19. Go there real quick, verses 15 through 19. Okay, it's on the screen, you can go there too. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets. Let them be for Yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Can I say this to y'all? Sex is for God. Se Listen, sex is for God. Not just created by him, it's for him. It's, y'all, it's literal worship unto God. Like we just sang to God. Making love is for God. 
Listen, our culture has made sex to be primarily performance, but God made sex to be primarily praise. The epicenter of performance is what? Self. Self is the habitat of pride. Sexual immorality feeds pride more distinct than any other sin. Why? Well, let's look to the word of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Not just this verse, but y'all, the Bible is full. Y'all, it's full. Not just Proverbs 5 or this verse. Full of uh, warnings on sexual immorality. And it's something that, y'all, we need to take with utmost severity, especially in the world and the sexually charged culture that we live in today. I would say that our culture is actually setting the temperature. It shouldn't be, but it is. It's setting the temperature when it comes to sexuality. I believe three false messages in particular are being pressed on our generation today. I've preached kind of on this before, but man, I feel it's very, very, oh, I felt, yeah, needed to, to, to preach on this again kind of a little bit more in detail. Three false messages, y'all ready for them, in particular that are being pressed on our generation today. Here's the first false message. Sex is casual. Sex is no big deal. Whatever, it's just something to do for fun. You eat food because food feels good. You rub your body together because that feels good. Why are you making such a big deal, big, big deal out of it, right? It's just casual. It's just something fun to do. We, we just do it. So there's a sense that sex is no big deal. It's casual, right? But at the same time, you get a message that's, that sounds conflicting, which leads to the second false message that I believe is being pressed on us, too. Sex is essential. So if sex is no big deal, but it's also a huge deal. Interesting, right? You, right? You, you should be having it. No one should put restrictions or boundaries on it. And if you're not having it, that's weird. That's unhealthy. That's what the world is telling us. It's crazy that nowadays when someone says that they want to be abstinent until they're married, uh, people don't usually first think that it's because of their spiritual convictions, but they, I don't know, in, in, instantly think that they're maybe abused or traumatized. That to not be having sex regularly means that there's something wrong with you. So sex is no big deal. It's casual, but it's essential too. You should be doing it. And if you're not, you're weird and there's something wrong with you. The third false message I believe is being pressed on us, and the one that I really want to focus on tonight, is this. Sex is primarily physical. Lie from the pit of hell. The pit of hell. Lie. Y'all, sex is everywhere. TV, movies, news outlets, social media, etc. It's so easily accessible. It's in our pockets, what we carry in our pockets day in and day out. <laughs> our smartphones. No other generation has been tested like ours. It literally is something that the enemy is having a heyday with. He is working tirelessly to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto ourselves. He's working hard to, not, to get us to not understand or even believe that <laughs> in God's perfect Amazing design for sex within marriage. Can I just quickly say this too? Y'all listen to me. Some of y'all really need to consider getting a flip phone. Seriously. Some of you need to really consider that. Is this the main antidote to your struggle with lust on your phone? Not at all. No. Jesus is our victory, but that doesn't mean we don't just sit on our hands and do nothing about it. We'll talk a little bit more on that later. 
Here's what is happening today. You're constantly getting images that at its core is purpose to work hard at the divorcing of your physical body from your mind and your emotions. To look at these people's bodies or images online or in person or in a movie or in social media or wherever, you're encouraged and invited to look at their bodies and to stimulate your mind. We are literally groomed to look at pictures on social media, commercials, shows, and movies, and all images for that matter, and to not think to ourselves thoughts like these. Man, I wonder what she or he's thinking about. I wonder how he or she feels today. Culture tells us not to engage with the heart and the mind of these individuals. Culture says that we are to, to, to separate those things. I honestly hear it all the time in modern day music. More and more. Y'all, pronouns are, are, have changed. Music that says, I want to hit this. I want to get with that. There's more per... <laughs> There's, actually, there's, there's, there's no more personalizing of pronouns. Why? Because there's more and more disconnect in our culture between sex and personhood. But God designed marriage to be the place where sex and personhood join. Together. God created sex to be a holy union. A coming together between a husband and a wife. Man and woman. Can I be clear on that? Hallelujah. To enjoy the pleasure that two bodies were created by God to experience. Genesis 2, 24 through 25. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God, y'all, God designed marriage as a beautiful gift and yet the culture we live in today is screaming a, complete, a completely different message. Completely different message that is polar opposite of how God designed it to be. That's the world we're living in. And y'all, its ripple effects are very, have been and are currently very damaging. In fact, the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, which comprises the nation's top uh, 1,600 divorce, divorce law attorneys, had a recent gathering where they remarked on the, uh, uh, the drastic, um, not decrease, increase in, its, um, in this uh, overlized, stimulized, um, sexualized image culture contributing to divorce. Here's a stat. 56% of divorce cases involved one party having an obsessive interest in, line, in online pornography. The president of the association was quoted saying, and I quote, eight years ago, pornography played no role in divorce in this country. Wow. Our, our marital sexual life and our, and, and our marital communicative life has been damaged because of the entrance of sexualized media in the life of the family. One study by uh, Dolph Zillman in the Journal of Adolescent Health said that prolonged exposure to pornography is leading young men and women, I would say, to presume that sexual exclusivity is unrealistic and uncommon. To believe that sexual activity is bad for your health and to hold a cynical attitude about love, affection, marriage, and family. We have made sex, y'all, primarily a self-focused act. I'm doing this for me. That is exactly what pornography does. It's 
accessibility and anonymity. It's just me and my computer, me and my phone. What that has done has made sex to be a self-satisfying act, a self-satisfying act. And yet, here's the reality. Sex is primarily a social act. It's a social act. It's about being bonded with a man and a woman. Y'all, there's, y'all, Everlast, there is so much research on this. Like, I could literally have filled this entire sermon with very real and prevalent stats. It's crazy how much brain science actually uh, in research there is behind all of this. Psychiatrist and neuroscientist Norman uh, Deutsch explains it this way. Sex fires your dopamine system. Dopamine is the happy chemical in your brain. Uh, This uh, Norman, let's call him Norm. Norm goes on to say, when you have sex or when you watch a very explicit sexual encounter online and have a sexual response to yourself to it, that floods your brain with dopamine, the, uh, what's called y'all, the happiness chemical. And it creates a neural pathway in your brain where your brain says, when I click on that, when I watch that, when I scroll on that, whatever, it makes me really happy. And so therefore your brain says, I got to do that again. Because, listen, Everlast, sex is actually, listen, that, there's a point to that. Sex is actually meant to fire that pleasure center. That's how God made it. That pleasure center is good. Man didn't create the brain. Man can't do that. It's impossible to man. God made the brain. He invented it. It fires when you eat good food. I love steak. I eat a steak. I'm happy. You know, it's like, right? We then have, you know, when you have something good to drink, Dr. Pepper is great. It tastes great. I want more of it. When you have sex with your wife or with your husband, your brain says, this is awesome. You should totally, we should totally keep doing this, babe. Let's do it again, right? Like your brain does that. That's what your brain does. But check this out. It, it also releases the hormone oxytocin, which is a hormone that promotes bonding. Woo. God's amazing, y'all. Because sex is meant to be a bonding experience. It's interesting. Anthropologist Helen Fisher says it this way. Oxytocin is the same chemical released when a mother is breastfeeding her baby. Why? Because the act creates bonding uh, between mother mother and child. She said there's no such thing as casual sex. There's literally chemically no such thing as physical sex with no emotional strings attached. Why? Because you don't get to control. Listen, you don't get to control what your brain does. It releases dopamine that says this, this was amazing and oxytocin that says you are bound to this person. Again, God already knows this because he created it. He said in his words so beautifully and poetically, like we've read tonight, that when the two, be, the two shall become one flesh, you, you knit yourselves together more than just physically. You bond with that person. And whatever happens when bonding occurs, you crave it. Although the twisted and opposite of how God designed it, hookup culture of having anonymous sexual activity with random people is prevalent today, many of you aren't a part of that. I hope none of you are. By God's grace. But what is common among you is what's called serial monogamy. I date someone, and in our dating relationship, we have sex or we do sexual things. If we break up, I date someone else, and we will probably have sex or do sexual things as well. But what happens in that? 
as you have sex with this person or you go too far or whatever it may be, dopamine is being splashed all over your brain saying, this is amazing. And your mind is saying, i got to do that again. And oxytocin is f- like firing in your brain like a firework. I'm now bonded to that person. And that's why, and many of you know this, and I shared this at one point, but I'm going to say it again. What happens when you break up with that person? You've literally been firing the same part of your brain that is lit up, y'all, by cocaine. And so what happens? You go through withdrawal. You've seen it happen with friends. I've had friends of mine. Man, dudes just want to break their jaw and have them choke on their teeth. And it's because I'm an EMT, I'll bring them back to life. I'm just that mad at them. Like they, they're not thinking right. That was pretty bad, sorry. Just, I'm just like, I've been there. I'm like, what are you thinking, dude? They break up with somebody. What happens next? A week later, they're freaking out, trembling, shaking. I got to go see him or her. I got I, I to gotta go see her. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm driving over there, and I'm going to just stand in the rain like a Shakespeare in love, and I love you. You know, it's like, and you literally have to tie them down to something. I've had a friend, like, I've just, I physically have to hold him back, and they're like, I'm going to my beloved. And you're like, he's, he's a psycho. He's in jail, and you don't want to do that anymore. They're going, y'all, they're going to give you reasons why, they're going to give you all the reasons why you shouldn't be into them. But you'll go back to your ex. And you know that this ex is a horrible person. Why? Because you're addicted. Because you literally, you're literally chemically attack, addicted to them. There's a part of your brain that is being suffocated that doesn't know how, uh, doesn't like how that feels. By the way, this same experience is happening in all sexual immorality, y'all. But even especially with porn. Mark uh, Ragnaros, which is like Thor Ragnarok, but Ragnaros, is a professor at the University of Texas. And he wrote a book called Premarital Sex in America. His research studied uh, sex among young adults from ages 18 to their 30s, which is us. And this is what he found. And the most vigorous and reliable study he printed about pornography use. He said that 80%, I'm sorry, 80, wow, more, 86% of young men interact with porn this last month. 69% of women report no no porn use at all. So you've got 86% of men saying at least once a month, 31% of women saying at least once a month with y'all. That's still a significant percentage. That's one out of every three girls. Just under 50% of men said that they watch porn weekly. Y'all, the Huffington Post reported a few years ago that porn sites get more visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. That's the world we live in today. And the reality is, y'all, it's impacting us. It's impacting us. It's impacting those who you know. I've shared this before at Everlast, and some of y'all know, y'all, but just to be real with y'all, um, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, but y'all, I, I, I was heavily, man, it just, it just breaks my heart, man. I, I was heavily addicted to porn. And it's something that was incredibly dark. So twisted, heavy. I mean, very heavy. I honestly felt so lost. And can I, can I just say this? Y'all look at me real quick. It, if you want to deteriorate your life, look at porn. If, if you're not married yet and you want to start your soon-to-be marriage off with heavy baggage, look at porn. If you're married and you want to create a barrier between you and your spouse, look at porn. If you want to lessen your life's joy, look at porn. 
Am I actually telling you to look at porn? No. What I'm saying to you is that porn is nothing but destruction everlasting. Nothing but destruction. Let me tell you, as someone who came from a past that had just as much sexual devastation as many of you know and think you're the only one that does, let me tell you something. Can you all look at me real quick and have some eyeballs? There is hope. You can be delivered from this bondage. And also, guess what? You can have a great marriage. You can have a great marriage. You can. God does that, y'all. God loves to do that. He wants, he wants to do that with you. If you're engaged or married in the room, and the past, like, let's just say the past sin or a present sin of sexual immorality is weighing you down, y'all take off that yoke. It isn't meant for your shoulders. It's meant for Christ's. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, I love these verses. Always rings true. Come to me all who, who are, who, I'm sorry, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Y'all need to know that Christ is fully capable of turning the most twisted sinner into the most grace-filled believer. Practically speaking, yes, sitting on our hands is exactly, y'all, what not to do. We are to be proactively praying and fighting sin. I taught that recently. Jesus taught us to pray like the very proactive prayer, right? Lead us far from temptation. Proactivity. We are not to position ourselves in a place of being tempted, reading and applying the word to our lives. Y'all, we have to do that. Sin, sin, let alone sexual morality, is usually, I don't know. It's, it's just such a prevalent thing. Y'all, we're to be in community. Community is vital. Community is so vital to be held accountable and to be cared for, to be prayed for, to be known in. It's huge with your fellow brothers and sisters. And like I shared earlier, very practically speaking, we need to remove literal stumbling blocks, i.e. reducing the amount of time devoted to watching TV shows and movies and entertainment. We need to get rid of our apps, on, some apps on our phone. Some of y'all, social media is doing nothing for you at all. Or like I said earlier, just getting rid of our smartphones altogether and get a flip phone. Get an old school calendar and write stuff down. That, you know, do what you need to do. But y'all, listen, Everlast, hear me closely when I say this. Doing all these things are absolutely helpful, but doing these things in and of themselves is not what true victory is. Did you know that? That's why you can keep doing the right things and still end up doing the wrong thing. Victory over sin is more being with Jesus, not just doing good things for Jesus. Y'all, he is our victory. He is victory. Here's what myself, my lovely wife, Tina, and our Everlast team, and Calvary worships in our church as a whole, y'all, Everlast, we implore you to do this. Know Jesus Know him, love Jesus. When it comes to sexual immorality, we are so quick to let shame weigh us down when grace is trying to lift us up. And it's that word that I want to end with tonight. Grace. Grace. Can you all say it out loud? Grace. Romans 5, 20 through 21. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Hallelujah. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. End of the day, y'all, God is more faithful than you are sinful. Always. Always. Some of y'all really need to hear this tonight. You may have heard it before. I'm going to say it again. God is more faithful than you are sinful. 
Your life maybe has been weighed down by the guilt and shame of something you've done in your past or currently doing. And let me urge you to do something. Look at me. Repent. 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 Don't turn a deaf ear to that. Come on now. Repentance is awesome. (laughs) It's awesome. It is where we turn away from the empty promises of sin and especially sexual morality to turn to the fullness of joy that is only found in Christ. When you do this, God promises to forgive us and clean us right up. I've said this quote probably a handful of times here. I love it. Such good news to a sinner like me. Religion says, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. The gospel says, I messed up. I really need to call my dad. Everlast sexual morality, sexual morality can easily happen and it can even be restored. God is in the business of forgiveness. He, he loves to make old things new. He's, he loves that. He loves it. I speak with joy, y'all, from experience when I say that God makes all things new. I grieve. <laughs> I still grieve some of the choices I've made in my life, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus that he made for me, I walk in newness of life. I love these next verses in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. According to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiling, and unfading. Everlast, listen, your past does not defile your present relationship with God. In the glorious future, you will wait with Christ for all eternity. Christ lovingly gave himself to pay for my sin, your sin, our sin, and makes, made a way for us to, to live purified and clothed in his righteousness. I'm sure thankful for books like Proverbs, y'all. It's going to be an awesome month. Because like we've seen in chapter 5 tonight, God lovingly gives us clear direction away from, foolish, uh, from, away from foolishness and into his wisdom, his love, his care. Wisdom that keeps sex how it is meant to be, which is, again, sex is, is created by God for the worship of God and for our good in God within the confines of marriage. Amen? Let's pray.